We've been talking about this year that passion is your key to a breakthrough in any endeavor in life. You want to be outstanding in your field rather than just outstanding in your field? You know, some people are just standing in their field. If you want to be outstanding in your field, it requires passion. Whether that's a, you being a school teacher, a banker, an attorney, a doctor, doesn't matter what it is. Whether it's in medicine, finance, whether it's in ministry, whether it's in your marriage, the one thing you must have that cannot be done away with is passion. Ecclesiastes 9 and 7, our theme for this year, sees life. I've told you over and over again, it will never come knocking on your door and ring your doorbell. You've got to grab it while you can. Carpe diem. Hebrews tells us, though, that beyond that, for the child of God, there's even another dimension of resources that we can tap, tap into. You see, passion will make you use up your resources, your skill sets, your gifts, whatever it is. You'll apply all of it if you're driven by passion. Amen. You want to be a musician? Passion. You want to be an actor? Passion. No matter what it is you want to be, passion is the key. But once you have exhausted your innate abilities, where do you go then? For the average person, that's it. That's where they top out. That's their ceiling. That's the law of the ceiling, the lid right there. For the child of God, there's another dimension, though, that can be tapped into. The writer in Hebrews talks about it when he says, We have a great high priest that has entered into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, who while he was on earth was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And it says this high priest is not a high priest that we can't touch with the feelings of our infirmities. The Old Testament law, you could not touch the priest. It would render him possibly ceremonial or unclean and therefore unable to perform his priestly administrative duties both to God and to man. God said, no way, you don't touch the guy. This high priest is moved when you touch him. And the writer says we should therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This then begs the question, how do we tap into these inexhaustible resources of God, that dimension beyond ourselves when we've exhausted and used up all of ours? I've been telling you about extraordinary keys to extraordinary breakthroughs that driven by passion, people got God's attention. They touched that high priest. I'm telling you, Abraham did by offering an extraordinary sacrifice. Hannah by praying an extraordinary prayer. Rizpah through an extraordinary intercession. The Roman centurion with extraordinary faith. Paul and Silas with extraordinary worship in the Philippian jail. And every one of them had a breakthrough. We've just finished with Nehemiah who touched the high priest by giving extraordinary leadership to Israel in a time when they were about to be swallowed up into anonymity, having been carried away into captivity in Babylon. He became the pivotal character in the Old Testament that helped Israel rediscover their mandate and purpose for existing, and that was that they would someday produce the Messiah. Today, I want to talk to you about something else that gets God's attention, and that's honor. I want to talk about the key of giving honor. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that in the next few minutes you will change our lives by changing the way we think. Without any doubt, 
There's not a one of us here today that is unaware of this simple fact. That in this world, we're taught things that are sometimes incorrect. We pick up on principles and ideas and even ideals that are flawed. And they affect our lives for as long as we live. Help us today through your word to correct those things that we might embrace the eternal truth of your word and that we might align ourselves with it. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. Amen. Can I hear somebody shout and say, Amen. Amen. Honor. What does it mean? The Hebrew word is actually kabod, and it means heaviness. Not that you're heavy, you know, like you give somebody honor, that, that's a heavy person. It, mean, it doesn't mean they need to go on a diet. What it actually means is you ascribe to them weightiness. Amen. You recognize the weightiness of the office or the position they hold either in your life or in the world. Your future is determined by who you choose to honor. Every promotion that you will ever receive in life is determined by your ability to give or receive honor. Paradoxically, honor never comes if you seek honor for yourself. If you exalt yourself, Jesus said, you will be abased or humbled. Conversely, failure is usually the direct result of having failed to give honor to something or someone that God has placed in your life that you were meant to honor. Those that hold positions in your life that you're supposed to honor are people who have a deposit to make in your life. God assigned them the assignment of partnering or connecting with you because they will deposit something in you that will help you fulfill your destiny and therefore your purpose for having been created. The failure to ascribe to that person honor inevitably leads to a degree of failure in your life. Failure also is the result of honoring things that we should not honor. For example, to an impressionable young person, they can see a so-called celebrity that has their own reality show, sold a million dollars of their last, a million copies of their last album, for example, and they may see all the bling and the flash and the glamour and the fame, and they may say, that person is someone I envy and emulate, wish to be like. They have given that person a position of honor in their lives. Often these people their lives are an absolute wreck in terms of their personal life. They have a lot of money, but many times they're some of the most miserable people on the face of the planet. What inevitably happens is whenever you put someone like that in a position of honor in your life, you begin to change your life to some degree to begin to be like theirs. And just as it led to personal failure in their life, it will lead to personal failure in yours. You see, not everybody that, out, that, that produces an album is going to sell a million copies of it. And if you copy that lifestyle, doesn't mean you're going to end up where they are. just means you're going to end up being a failure like them. Amen. Embracing the wrong ideals leads to that. On the other hand, as I pointed out, a person who seeks to find honor for themselves, honor will always be evasive and elude them. If a person then tries instead to give it, inevitably, honor will come knocking at their door. The life of Joseph demonstrates this extraordinary paradox. Joseph demonstrates a unique ability to give honor in the worst of circumstances when the people that are in his life do not seem to deserve it at all. 
But God has put them there as unlikely and as unpromising as these relationships may be for the express purpose of helping preserve Israel. Joseph will be elevated. His position of elevation will help him preserve his family, this new nation, until they're strong enough to survive on their own. They will literally be incubated in Egypt, as it were, because of what's happening to Joseph. Joseph is first betrayed by his brothers, and he's sold as a slave into Potiphar's house. What does he do? He shows honor to his slave master. There's something about that that is galling, something about that that rubs me the wrong way, and you too, but he did it anyway. Then after being betrayed and falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, his slave master's wife, he is put in prison. Do you know what he does next? He honors the person that is the warden in the prison that is responsible for his pain and incarceration. While he's in prison, God, who is working behind the scenes, causes Pharaoh to have a dream. And Pharaoh sends for Joseph, to make a long story short. Joseph honors Pharaoh, who is the head of this wicked worldly system that has caused him so much trouble, by shaving washing himself, and changing his clothes. You see, Hebrew men in that day did not shave. They wore beards. Egyptian men were clean-shaven. Even though it was counter to his culture, Joseph still had a remarkable ability to recognize the honor that belonged in the office, and he shaved, made himself presentable and acceptable to someone in that culture. The result was, in less than one day, Joseph goes from the prison to second in leadership in all of that mighty empire of Egypt. You don't know where your promotion is coming from. You need to be careful who you honor. Amen. And make sure you honor people that need to be honored that God has placed in your life. It just might be that some of the greatest irritants in your life and greatest problems you've ever faced were placed there by God for the express purpose of putting you in the right position for honor to cause you to be exalted when your time came and your number turned up. Amen. Somebody say amen. Now, this, this to me is fascinating because in the kingdom of God, this is also true that honor determines the level of your elevation. Just like in the world, honor determines your future and the, the degree of elevation you experience in this life, the same thing happens in terms of the kingdom of God, only with this added nuance of complexity. In the kingdom, you must possess spiritual discernment to see who is worthy of honor and be able to discern who God has placed with you that you're supposed to be honoring. Jesus said it like this, if you receive a prophet as a prophet, you'll receive a prophet's reward. But if you only receive a prophet as a righteous man, your reward is diminished. You're only going to receive a righteous man's reward. How many people has God placed in your life that you don't even realize who they are right now because you're not seeing in them the value that they have come to make a deposit of into your life? We are required to have spiritual discernment. And it's amazing because even though we live in a culture today where the world no longer knows how to serve or show honor. Trust me, people still want to be honored, even those who can't honor anybody else. Today's world, the way you get ahead, the way you rise above everybody else, is not work real hard and excel and become noticed because you've done well. It's tear everybody else down that has done well until you stand taller than them. 
That's pretty much the way many in the world operate today. But trust me, even those who embrace that as a philosophy and tear everybody else down and stand on them so they can stand a little higher and be noticed, they want to be honored. In fact, more church problems have been caused by a failure to honor people. More people have gotten their feelings hurt in church than you can possibly imagine. Because I did something and I gave something and I was there and I did this and I showed up and nobody noticed me. I'm mad. I'm leaving. I'm upset. And, and really, that's how people are. And hey, everybody makes mistakes. Sometimes we forget. Am I right? Sometimes you just overlook. You don't notice. It's kind of like my friend Pierre, all right? His business exploded and he was opening a new business location. And one of his friends decided to send flowers for the occasion, so he called Boudreaux the florist and had flowers sent. And flowers arrived, and Pierre read the card, and to his shock, it said, rest in peace. He was mortified. He was enraged. He got on the phone and called Boudreaux, and he said, what do you mean sending me this bouquet of flowers that says rest in peace when my business is exploding? It's not dying. I'm opening a new location. And Boudreaux the florist replied, Shaft. I'm really sorry for the mistake. But rather than getting angry, you should imagine this. Somewhere there is a funeral taking place today, and they have flowers with a note saying, congratulations on your new location. Amen. Yeah. Everybody makes mistakes. Where did we lose honor, and how do we get it back? Where did we lose the ability to show honor? If the apostle Paul reminds us of the need of honor and it starts at the grassroots level when Ephesians 6, 2 and 3 he said honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Whoa. The failure of the world to know about honor originates in the home. And trust me everybody has felt the effects of it. Everybody. We live in a world, as I said, that doesn't know how to show honor or regard anymore. And one of those that has failed to be honored, one of the, the most important entity in this world outside of God himself, is the church. The church is no longer honored as a viable or important or significant institution. And you know what we have allowed ourselves to do as the church? We have allowed ourselves to be intimidated into ineffectiveness and silence as a result. The world has said, you're no longer relevant. And you know what we did? We said, who, us? And they said, yeah, you. And you know what we did? We said, oops, I'm not saying anything anymore then. We have allowed them to shut us down when the truth of the matter is they've never needed us more than they need us right now. The outcome, look at the world we live in. It's never been as crazy and as dangerous as it is. Last Sunday, I even made this statement. I said, if you want to see how crazy and radical the world is getting, you pray about it first because it will be gory and shocking, and you might not be able to stand it. But if, if you feel you can, pull up one of those beheadings, and you will see what's going on in our world. You, you know why I made that statement? Because most people who do not travel still believe the world is the same place it was 25 years ago. It isn't. This is not the same world you and I grew up in. I did not realize last Sunday when I made that statement that five days later, you wouldn't have to pull up a video from Syria. It would be happening right here in Moore, Oklahoma. 
with somebody running into their place of work shouting Allahu Akbar and cutting off the head of one of their, their co-workers and trying to do the same to another before they were stopped. We don't live in a world where all the problems are overseas anymore. They're right here on our doorstep. And if there ever was a time that we needed God, it's right now. Right now. The world has forgotten that prayer changes things. And we've allowed them to forget it. You know, God can change things when we honor him and his word. Some years ago, I cast in some of the mileage that I had accumulated from all this traveling. And Andrew and I flew to, to Norway and to Sweden. I wanted him to see where the, the family came from on my dad's side of the family, the, the family tree. Because my dad's father, his ancestors came from Norway. They were the Scandinavians, the Norsemen. And like Alex Haley's story roots. Most of us are driven by a compelling desire to know where we came from. I wanted Andrew to know a little bit about the people on my father's side of the family. Everybody knows about the Cajuns in my family on my mother's side because I tell you about Boudreaux all the time. Amen. Today, Scandinavians are considered to be among the most peaceful people in the world. For example, the Nobel Peace Prize, which originated with Alfred Nobel, is actually awarded in Oslo, Norway. The Nobel Prizes and the various sciences are given in Stockholm, Sweden. They're considered to be a peace-loving people. wasn't always that way. When we were there together, Andrew and I, we went visited various museums. We went to villages that had been excavated. Guides were telling us about different things about that part of our family. Turns out that the Vikings were among the most bloodthirsty people that ever lived on the face of the planet. The word berserk actually came into our vocabulary, our language, as a word used to describe what happened when Vikings got on the battlefield. They went crazy. They went berserk in a lust of bloodletting. And people said, those are the berserkers. Nowadays, somebody runs amok. We say, that guy's going berserk. We actually got the word from the battle practices of people on that side of my family tree. You see, you don't ever want to upset me in counseling. Uh, just a joke. I'm not, I'm not serious. All that's under the blood now. Amen. They weren't always so, so peaceful. If you've ever been to weddings where they offer toast and you've traveled overseas or with different cultures like the Spanish culture here, they, they'll offer this toast in the UK. Cheers. In Italy, they'll say salute. In Spain, they'll say salute. Or in Mexico. And, and, and then in France, they'll say sante. It all means the same thing. It means to your health. Not in Norway, not in Sweden, not in Denmark, not in Finland. You know what they say? They say skull. It's spelled S-K-A-A-L. You know what it means? Skull. It refers to the practice of when they killed somebody, they cut his head off and drank wine from his skull afterward. That's my ancestors. That's what's in my genetics. I'm glad I got saved. Amen. Amen. And we don't even want to talk about your side of the family. <laughs> what changed them into peace-loving people? The guide told us it happened in one generation. And I'm sitting there waiting for the guide to explain it. You know what he says? What changed them in one generation was Christian missionaries came and preached the gospel. And a revival broke out. And in one generation, they laid their weapons down. And became a peace-loving people. 
one generation. An encounter with Calvary changed everything. The word of God can change your life. And when we lose value and regard and honor for God's word and his teaching, that's what we revert back to. The barbarism, that's what's happening in the world right now. In Europe, churches that were once filled, mighty cathedrals that will seat thousands, now have 12, 15 on Sunday morning. According to historians, Europe is now in its post-Christian era. And you know what else they say? They say America is only a few steps behind, that we're about to reach the same point. And the reason they say that's happening is because we all, Europeans, Americans, everybody, have no longer got the same amount of regard. We no longer honor the Word of God the way it once was. We pick and we choose these days. Amen. I'm going to preach here, and I don't mean to upset anybody, but I'm going to talk to you. Can I really talk to you right now? Amen. Sermons in many churches resemble motivational speeches, and God seems to be mentioned, if he's mentioned at all, as an afterthought. Amen. You go to church for motivation. Feel good. Or worse, God is portrayed as, as our, not as our supreme and sovereign Lord, but as existing only to meet our needs. Something happened just a couple of weeks ago that has been shocking. And I want to tell you about it. Many churches in America now openly send out memos. In this city, I can tell you churches that have done it because their staff have received these memos and told me. They are forbidden to mention the name, the word sin. They are forbidden to mention the devil, repent, hell, mention any specific sin, mention, mention the need for you to convert, they're forbidden to just get saved so that your life will be better. None of those things are allowed to be mentioned because they say it may hurt our crowd and run some people off. That's a whole lot like a professor in medical school telling an oncologist they should never mention cancer, radiation, surgery, metastasis, or chemotherapy. It might upset their patients. Look, if I've got cancer, you tell me what I need to do. You are free to tell me about chemotherapy. And I'm talking about a cancer of the soul, which is even a worse kind of affliction. Now, last week, Dr. Michael Brown, forgive me for saying this, but it's, it's created a firestorm that's in the media right now. You're hearing about it, reading it in Christian magazines. Dr. Michael Brown of the Pensacola Revival actually wrote an open letter to the pastor of one of the largest churches in America, one of those that issued some of these memos. I'm, I'm not going to air our dirty laundry. I, I, I'm not a hater. I, I, don't, I don't hate on people. I don't, I'm not fighting any fights. I'm sorry. Amen. You want to fight me, I'm going to just love you back. That's all I'm going to do. Amen. And, and the truth of the matter is, Michael Brown wrote this letter. He said after he called and called and called and could not get anyone to answer or respond or return his call. And in this letter, he talked about the comments made by the wife of the pastor of this church on their international television program. And I'm going to tell you what was said. Listen, in the program, she said that when we worship, we are not doing it for God. We're doing it for ourselves. What? I thought we were made to worship him because he's God. The reason we worship, she said, is because when we worship, it makes us happy. And God wants us to be happy. We don't worship God for him. We worship for us because we feel good. And she went on further to say we don't go to church for God. We go for us because it helps us. Now I'm all for crowds. 
And I'm all for our church growing, and we've grown here during the years. But let me just tell you something. You need to understand right now that we are here because we were created to be worshipers of the Almighty God. I was born and created to worship Him, and so were you. Can somebody in the building say, that's right? Listen, I, I, I want to be kind to everybody. You say, what are you doing with folk that are teaching that? And those people that Michael Brown was referring to. Well, personally, I want to believe that the wife simply made a statement without thinking it through. That's what I want to think. I want to love on, my, love on them and pray for them and say, you yeah, be careful with what you say. There's somebody listening to you. Amen. But on the other hand, I have to tell you, we have to honor God. Whether we keep a crowd or don't keep a crowd is not the issue. It's we are the church. We are the voice to the world. You say, what difference does it make what we teach? It makes a lot of difference. If we don't teach them how to live right, who is? If we don't teach someone how to raise godly children, if we don't teach someone how to be honest and be faithful in their marriage, if we don't teach someone to treat their neighbor right, who's going to do it? Will the government? Will they do it in universities or schools? No. That's part of the problem. That's where it all started. Church, there's nobody that can do your job. You and I are called to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And if a light is put under a bushel, Jesus talked about that we have failed in our obligation. And as a result, Michael Brown went on to tell that pastor in this open letter that's been published in many Christian magazines. And you'll find it on the internet. And I'm not knocking people. I'm praying for everybody involved. Michael Brown said, in love, he said, my brother. He said, I want to tell you, you're morphing Christianity into something that is not real Christianity anymore. And that's scary. Because if we're going to wear the name, we have to play the game. You know what I'm talking about? And it reminds me of Alexander the Great, who many years ago, who at the age of 30, had only who had conquered the then known world, they brought before him a soldier that had acted disgracefully. And as he stood there, Alexander asked him his name, and he said, my name is Alexander. And it infuriated Alexander the Great. And he stood up and said, what? Either change your behavior or change your name. And I wonder if God is not looking from heaven, saying to Christians, either change your behavior or change your name. Or can I preach a way that I feel like preaching right now? Somebody want to help me? If you don't, I'm going to preach what I feel like God wants me to say because it is vital that we not go the way that Europe has gone in terms of its churches. By failing to honor God in His Word and by focusing on popularity and wanting to honor ourselves, we've begun to morph into something that, that isn't pleasing to God. So how do we learn honor? And where did we get off the track? And what went wrong? Honor is learned about it early in life, and it's learned at home first. Earlier in this series, I preached about Abraham. Let me do it again. Abraham moved God because he taught his family to have such honor for God's word that God himself was moved by that. And even more, Abraham's descendants honored him for teaching them what they should honor. Look at this, Genesis 18, 17 through 19. And the Lord said, shall I hide 
from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and a mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him that he will, you see that word? Command. Oh, there's an ugly word we don't want to see anymore. Command his children and household after him that they may keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. Two significant things that we need to understand. Number one, whether or not God's promise to Abraham would ever be fulfilled was whether or not Abraham could transmit his values and pass them on to the next generation. He had to teach his children to honor God in his word. And because of that, God said, I may, that I may bring to Abraham what has been spoken to him. The second thing that I would like for you to notice here is notice this, ladies and gentlemen. That the degree of revelation that Abraham walked in was directly the result of the honor he taught his children to have for God's word. Shall I hide from Abraham this thing that I am about to do? Seeing that he will command his children and household after him that they shall keep the way of the Lord. What God is clearly saying is the level of revelation Abraham walked in was directly Dependent upon his ability to communicate honor for God to his family. We bought into this idea that we can't force our kids to be Christians. We can't make them go to church. You sure make them go to school every morning? I'm sorry. Preach, Pastor Herb. Thank you. I believe I will. I'm not being arrogant. We got off base somewhere. Yes, we did. And somehow we relegated godly values to a lesser position of importance than all of these other things that are out there right now. Well, we'll get them up when they're crying and don't want to. We'll make them go to school whether they like it or not. You say, I don't like that church. I'm not, I don't like that pastor. Amen. They don't like their teacher, but they still go every day. Can I talk to you right now? I'm just your friend. I'm just helping you right now. I'm just loving on you. I'm helping you with your family. Notice he commanded his children. He didn't suggest, you poor darlings, I would really like for you, and dad would consider it to be a favor if you would please kindly get dressed this Sunday morning and come to church with dear old dad. And, yeah, he said, you get up out of that bed and you go to church with me this morning. You live under this roof, you eat my bread, you're going to church with me today. Oh, but when my kids get old enough, they'll make their own decision. Abraham didn't say anything about when you get old enough. He said, you're going to church whether you're young, old, in between. It don't matter. We're going to the house of God today. He commanded them to go. And he wasn't the only one. Joshua did the same thing in Joshua 24 and 15. Joshua stood before Israel. This is after they have conquered and taken the promised land, which took, according to Jewish scholars, four and a half years. Joshua was 80 when it began. He's now 84 and a half years old. Look at this. He says, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. What's amazing about that verse right there 
is we think he's talking about little kids. He's not. He's talking about sons and daughters that are 40 and plus years of age. He didn't say me and my family are going to serve the Lord. He said me and that big old 42-year-old boy over there are going to serve the Lord. I don't know what you're going to do. And do you know what his children did? They honored him for that because it brought breakthrough into their lives and, and it brought them into a dimension of God's favor. And Israel benefited from that. Amen. Where did we start going wrong? This is a little bit of ancient history, but I'll go back there with you and we'll walk through it just so you'll know. And everything I'm telling you, you can research. And I'm just about done already. 1946, there was a book written by Dr. Benjamin Spock. It was entitled The Common Sense Book of Baby and Child Care. And that's what started it right there. I'm not saying that parents did the right thing with their kids before then. I am just saying that since they started reading that book, and there are over 50 million copies that have been sold, and there have been millions and millions of spinoffs sold by countless numbers of authors who wanted to cash in on this common trend. But since that, morality in the West has nosedived. This man single-handedly is responsible for changing the way. He admits that. Everybody says it about him. Single-handedly, this man changed the way parents raised their kids in America. Now, you determine if it was good or bad. Amen. What is indisputable is this, that those parents influenced by that book raised the generation known as the baby boomers, the largest number of children ever born. It was right after World War II, up until that time, the largest number ever born. And here's what happened. The, Dr. Spock taught them that we should not do, use directive training. Don't tell them what they have to do. Don't teach them absolute values. Don't teach them right or wrong. Don't do all of this. you got to let them follow their hearts. Amen. Look, if I followed my heart, I'd be a Viking. I would be a, a berserker. That's what's in my heart. You hear what I'm saying? You don't want your genetics to be followed. I'm, I'm being real right now. Oh, you've got to do whatever they want, uh, whatever your children want. You've got, you've got to honor them. Since 1960, there has been an, an explosion in things that are happening in our world that have damaged and harmed us and done us wrong. The rate of violent crimes has more than tripled. Every day there are news reports of heinous crimes never before heard of being committed in America that were not heard of a generation ago. Children murder their playmates, their teachers, their parents. Teenage mothers abandon their newborn babies in trash cans. Every year, students commit carnage on their classmates. Our culture has sunk so low that our kids are not even safe in schools anymore. Help me out. Amen. And guess what? The watchword of that era was, since you don't have any directives, no moral absolutes anymore, if it feels good, do it. Anybody ever heard that statement before? That was coined by the generation raised under this. Sexual promiscuity became the accepted practice of the day. As a result, one out of every four teenage girls alive in America right now has an STD. One out of four. Amen. The last five decades, practices have become so promiscuous that the number of distinct STDs has risen from five to more than 50. A sudden increase of a thousand percent obsession with sexual violence has brought a 318 percent increase in sexual assault. 
since this happened. During this time, the divorce rate went from 20% of marriages to over 50% ending in divorce. And even that doesn't tell the whole story because many people now just simply say marriage is not necessary and just choose to live together. That number has increased by over 1,500%. That's the world we're living in. What am I saying? Did 50 years ago, human nature all of a sudden get bad? No. We were a fallen race living in a fallen world under a fallen Lord ever since Adam and Eve committed sin. Amen. But what happened was two things. Number one, the Word of God had honor in our lives. And it taught us to crucify the ungodly desires of the flesh, not to give in to them. Not to, to yield to them. Amen. We were, taught no to, we were taught to say no to our natural desires. Self-control. We were taught that that's what keeps you from stealing, murdering, and being unfaithful. That and the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. In America, the reason that baby boomers and their children have grown up with less mastery over their passions and previous generations is directly the result of that teaching that has been embraced. And instead of stressing the importance of teaching self-denial and respect, Spock discouraged parents from directive training. Don't teach your kids they have to eat their Brussels spouts. Don't make them do their chores. Don't make them do anything. Let them watch TV, whatever they want to do. You guide them. Just last night, or I'm sorry, this morning, I turned on the TV as I was getting ready. You know what happened? Somebody said that Bible, spare the rod and spoil the child. Ah, that's, that's cruel. Put them in time out. You know what they came out with this morning? Their latest finding is if you put a child in, in time out, it damages his self-esteem. I'm serious. Are you going to let these people lie to you anymore? Do you realize that what somebody did was wanted to take the lock off the candy shop? That's all they wanted. They wanted to be allowed to do anything they wanted to do. And as a result, they started railing against the church for teaching against these things. It's not a coincidence that at the same time all this started happening, there arose an anti-God movement for the first time in the history of the world. And a movement to take prayer out of the schools and the Bible out of schools and the Ten Commandments. Oh, they would have been fine if they were the Ten Suggestions, but Ten Commandments, oh, no, no, no. That violates Dr. Spock. And he knows more than God does, so let's get rid of the Ten Commandments, okay? No more, as I said, any directive training. And so what's happened is, as a result of the sexual promiscuity, then something had to also be done with this proliferation of babies being born right. And so then Roe versus Wade came along, and now we have had, get this, 57,210,000 abortions in this nation since Roe versus Wade. Worldwide, 1.35 billion abortions. What we have done in not honoring God and giving into our flesh has created a nightmare. By giving and yielding to the wrong desires, we have nearly destroyed our world. And what is the result of that? Now you have terrorists cutting off heads. Not in Syria, in Moore, Oklahoma. The world has never been in as great a danger as it is now. And here's what is crazy about it. Joshua and Abraham's family honored them because they taught them to value God's word. It brought so much favor on their lives. They honored their mom and dad. Years ago, I ran across a study where sociologists and psychologists 
had been studying inner city schools, and I, I'm through here now. I've got to quit. But kids would be standing on the, the perimeter of the school grounds, looking through the chain link fences, looking for all the world like animals in a cage. And sociologists and psychologists began to say, you know, we're doing wrong to our kids. Let's take the fence down. We're raising them like they're inmates in an institution. Do you know that when they removed the fences, the same kids that stood there with their fingers in the openings of the chain link fence retreated to the middle of the school ground and didn't want to leave the middle of the school ground? You know why? Because the boundaries made them feel safe. And when you don't have boundaries in your family, your family doesn't feel safe and they don't feel loved anymore. Amen. Now, I know there have been people that have abused the office of a parenthood, but how do we get God to smile on us? God is moved when people honor him. He said concerning Abraham, I know what he's going to do. He's going to command his children to serve me. And because of that, I'm going to make of him a great nation. He's going to walk in greater revelation. I'm not going to hide what I'm, I'm about to do because he has shown me honor. And what happens if we want to turn this thing around, the answer is simply this. We have to somehow rediscover the ability to show honor again. And it has to start in the home. And that's why one of the basic commandments, the first with promise, was honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the earth. I'm done. But you say, how can I honor my parents? I was raised in, and I live in a real world. I mean, I know stuff that, that goes on. I've been in this too long to believe that everybody's doing well that's hiding behind a plastic smile. And there are a lot of hurting people out there. Yes, there really are. And somebody may say, how can I possibly honor the person that harmed me? Because the person that held that office is the one who damaged me the most. Four quick principles. First, honor the office if you can't honor the individual. You need to honor the office because you know why? Your image of who God is is formed by the image of that office in your mind that you hold. Amen. And rather than throw the office out, what you need to do is say, someone abused it, but I still honor the office. Number two, this is especially important. Remember that hurting people hurt people. If you want to know why you were hurt and why people did bad things to you, it might actually help you understand what their motivation was. Doesn't make it right. Doesn't mean that it's okay. Doesn't make what they did good. But the reason that you sometimes need to understand that hurting people hurt people is because it just may be the reason that some authority figures in your life were the way they were is because somebody hurt them too. Doesn't make it right. But it might make you be able to deal with it. And somebody may say, how dare you tell me I need to forgive that person or seek to understand them? Who are you to say that? I'll tell you who I am. I'm the little four-year-old boy that was put out by his own mama. That's who I am. That was given up by my mother and grew up feeling unloved and worthless with suicidal thoughts and struggling depression and to my adulthood because... This is the way it balanced out in my mind. If your mama don't want you, you're not worth very much. I grew up haunted by that until I discovered that God had accepted me. And that turned my life around. And that changed my life. Amen. Number three, 
Forgive the person who did you wrong. Whether it's a pastor, a school teacher, whether it's a parent, it all begins with honor. If someone held an office in your life and abused it, forgive them. You know why? I'll tell you why. Even though we may look at them and say they don't deserve it, it's not about whether they deserve it or not. It's that you deserve to be free from all of that. Can I hear somebody say amen? And this is the truth. If you can't forgive, it ties you to what was done to you for the rest of your life. But when you forgive, you get rid of it. You lay it down. You're the one that is set free. And number four, in spite of everything, give God thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 18, in everything. Whoa, 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 that, that can't be right. Is that an actual quote? In most things, in some things, in 99% of things. No, in everything, give thanks. Oh, you're going to really mess me up now if you quote the rest of that. Because it says... For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you.